When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, folks, and welcome to the A to Z Sports Big Orange Podcast. I am Charlie Burris, here as always with my co-host, an A to Z Sports Tennessee writer, or just writer of, at this point, many different cities, in fact, Zach Reagan. Wherever you listen throughout the world, we thank you for listening to our little show here. Zach and I talk everything balls every week here on the Big Orange Podcast. And if you want to listen to it on the reg, go over to the A to Z Sports Podcast Network feed on iTunes, Spotify. Rate, review, subscribe, most importantly. Because when you subscribe, you won't miss the shows when we drop them on Mondays. And also on Mondays, you will find the show on YouTube. Go to YouTube. Type in A to Z Sports, subscribe there, you'll see the show, click on it, and then you will see our faces. The miracle of the internet. What a time to be alive that we are in. At Charlie underscore Burris, at Zach TNT, at A to Z Sports, Facebook.com slash A to Z Sports Nashville, A to Z Sports.com for all the stuff that Zach and I write. It was a wild weekend, Zach, or a wild Friday, it, it kind of, you know. It petered off after that. But Friday, notice of allegations drops for Tennessee. Uh, it was the talk of the college football town. We went live and uh, talked about it and did just a little 30 minutes um, about what happened. But we're going to go a little bit more uh, in-depth into some pieces that we didn't talk about during that little 30-minute live that we did on today's show. But uh, let's just start here, Zach. What's up, man? Uh, not a whole lot. Hoping, hoping for a little bit of a, a quieter week now. Uh, that on Friday, you can't convince me that the timing wasn't on purpose. I mean, after SEC media days, kind of early afternoon, typical Friday afternoon NCAA news dump. Is uh, I feel like I feel like they purposefully waited until after SEC media days, like they did Josh Heupel a solid there, so he didn't have to answer any questions about the notice of allegations. Uh, it's rare that the NCAA does anyone any favors, but it certainly feels like that was the case there. There were two kind of interesting pieces on the timing. Uh, for sure, it was a info dump late on a Friday. Um, obviously, we here at A to Z Sports were dedicated enough to still cover it. Uh, I think a lot of other folks were too, <laughs> but <laughs> it was giant news. Uh, but... That was strategic, but what I thought was funny is that Plowman's comment, she just put out a comment and she said, this afternoon we received a notice of allegations, blah, 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 blah. And I thought, you know what's funny is that these reporters, specifically at Sports Illustrated and the Tennessean, they had an entire like 2,000 word story written on this. If you got it this afternoon... When did they get it? Because <laughs> I can tell you this, as someone who has uh, written about sports for a decent chunk of my life, 
Uh, it's not easy to just crank out 2,000 words and put it through, especially at official publications like that, where you got to put it through probably multiple editors. The legal team's probably got to look at it, blah, blah, blah. You know, there's a whole set of people that have to lay eyes on it. I'm going to guess that this has been floating around for a minute, and Tennessee probably knew about it and has kind of gotten their PR together. They plan the time to let this information out, and Friday afternoon uh, was it, because it was just, it all dropped all at once. They had the PR statements ready. They had the articles ready. Uh, I'm going to guess that Danny White probably came to certain reporters, maybe. Obviously, this is all speculation on my part, but probably came to certain reporters and said, hey, you're the biggest game in town or one of the biggest or we trust you or whatever it might be. Here's the thing. You write about it. You can release it at this specific time. And yeah, it's it was strategic. It's a PR move. And I, I thought it was all on Tennessee's end. It was all handled pretty well. Nothing too scandalous in it. I think our our take was that the the punishment is probably not going to be too bad just from the feel of everything that got released. But uh, in general, it was very strategic for sure. Yeah, when you kind of talked about that, uh, you know, when, when did those writers have that information? Obviously, they had it ahead of time because they had extensive columns written or extensive reports written with all of the information in it broken down. Ross Dellinger from Sports Illustrated, who's a pretty big breaking news guy. I think he's one of the ones that I feel like I I trust the most. Like he he doesn't put a lot of opinion stuff out there. He just he's a good reporter. And then Adam Sparks from the Knoxville News Sentinel had the other article went a little more in depth. I felt like as far as the exact amounts, which is even more takes even more time to kind of put all that together it's interesting i don't know how many people will be interested in this but i'm always interested in how information flows back and forth living in this kind of content world what do they have to gain from waiting on that like did they did was their source tennessee's athletic department was their source the ncaa because if it's ncaa you just kind of go with it if it's tennessee why does tennessee even care they just trying to get to them first so it didn't come out early and maybe there's a promise of exchange, maybe future information there. And we know that's kind of how that works at times. Um, because there was nothing really in there. I mean, it was just the facts. It wasn't like they were trying to deflect yeah. or, or present it in a certain way. So it, it didn't really matter, I don't feel like, to Tennessee, as long as it came after Hypel speaking. What really made me think that it was coordinated probably by Tennessee. Again, all speculation, don't know exactly what it was behind the scenes, but what really made me think that was what you're saying. In no way was Tennessee caught off guard by this. Everything was prepared and everything was released all at the same time uh, across the board. Like it was even SI and the new Sentinel uh, put out their stuff all at once. Clearly it was like 2 p.m. even. Mm -hmm. It was a certain time on a certain day. They both had it all at once, pre-written, blasted it out there. Then Tennessee, just a little bit later, Tennessee had comments from the chancellor, had comments from Danny White, had it all set up. So it really makes me think like Tennessee got this at some, definitely not Friday, I think, uh, sometime a little bit ago, set all of this up. And yeah, what you're saying, a little bit of exchange for access, maybe especially for the new Sentinel Tennessean. Um, you know, you, you kind of get some of that, like, Hey, what do you, what do you think? Well, if, if you give us exclusive access to this, we'll, we'll make the coverage kind or whatever, you know, think about that, whatever you want, uh, who, however that went down, that happens all the time. Um, 
And, and so it was it was pretty strategic. But the one thing that did happen, we're going to circle back around um, to the notice of allegations and talk about specifically some uh, some people who weren't in the know that day pretty clearly uh, and then wrote some emotional things about Tennessee because they were not happy that it looks like Tennessee is not going to get uh, slammed too hard. Uh, we'll we'll talk about that again. But something that got overshadowed in all of the, uh, the hubbub. Man, that's like a grandparent's word, isn't it? Uh, all of all of the nonsense with the notice of allegations was a commitment for Tennessee football. Nathan Leacock, who is a three-star wide receiver from Raleigh, North Carolina, Millbrook High School, committed to Tennessee. And I, I wondered about this. He is either, he's one of two things. Tennessee either told him to commit at this specific time to distract people, <laughs> to go like, hey, we got to commit. Or he's a victim of unfortunate timing. Because it really got lost in the shuffle. I I really like this pickup. I think he's kind of an under the radar kid, and I think Tennessee really thinks that too. Uh, but I it definitely got lost in the shuffle of that Friday afternoon. Uh, unfortunately for him, however it went down. Yeah, I, I'm guessing it's unfortunate timing because he's a three star player. I'm like you. I like the pickup. I think he's, and I know that. Look, we say it all the time. Every time a, a low three-star kind of commits, you always call him an under-the-radar pickup or hidden gem. You know, that's kind of the, the the words that you throw out. But, it, you know, at this point, that's what you're hoping for. That's what the school's hoping for. That's what they assume they're finding. So, we, you know, you got to kind of assume that's the case. But I don't think that a three-star wide receiver is not enough to kind of distract anybody from the NCAA notice of allegations. I'm not sure there's a player – uh, big enough out there, really. Even even if the Nico commitment would have happened, that yeah. NCAA story is still going to trump all that. But I'm like you. I think he's a great pickup. He, he remind. I think he reminds everybody kind of of Cedric Tillman. Same body type, six three. Uh, Nathan Leacock's two hundred pounds. I think Tillman was like two fifteen during the recruiting process. But this guy is rated as the number seventy eight wide receiver in the country, number nineteen player in North Carolina, the number five hundred and ninety two overall player in the twenty twenty three class. Not very impressive, right? Then you go look at Cedric Tillman's profile. He was rated as the number two hundred and forty six wide receiver in the nation, the number eleven player in Nevada, not a very talent rich state, and the number. Uh, 1,677th ranked player, overall player in the nation. So, not, oh, two-thirds, I mean, way significantly lower lower ranked player than Leacock, but very similar type players. So, you know, maybe he can fill that Cedric Tillman role for Tennessee. I sure hope so. It was definitely his build in particular. Then when I saw this commit and was looking at it more closely, uh, that's that's what I noticed for sure. You watch his videos, um, and I man, I should have uploaded one here. I didn't, um, but you watch his highlights, and he he stands out like a sore thumb because he's just he's a college player playing with high schoolers. He just it looks that way, and even though he is a three star, I mean to put that in context, think about the kids that are five stars. I think a lot, I would say the bulk of the people that listen to this show have probably seen the tape of a five star. They just, it's so obvious. You don't, in in a lot of those videos, they put the little circle over the player before the plays and they go, (laughs) here he is right here. 
a lot of the time you don't even need to do that. You go like, oh yeah, he's the guy that's six foot six, 230 pounds. He's right there. You know, he's playing, playing against a 16 year old who just learned how to drive. Like uh, it's, it's kind of funny sometimes, honestly. Uh, but he, he stuck out like that. And, and to, I mean, even on a, a college football field, Tillman looks large. And I think he, he could track right with that. I think it's a situation he's going to have to put on bulk. He's he's going to have to to hit the weight room in the practice field really hard. Um, but I, I think a lot of times the three stars is where you really find those guys that are willing to put oh, the, yeah. the work in, that they're willing to hit the grind. And and hopefully he's that kid. Yeah, and I mean, he had a, a offer sheet that kind of looked more like a four-star player. I mean, he's got offers from Michigan, Miami, Kentucky, Florida, Mississippi State, West Virginia, Virginia Tech, uh, Vanderbilt, NC State. So a lot of Power 5 programs interested in him. UNC, hometown school, not far from where he where he uh, plays there in Raleigh. So for you know, I feel like Tennessee went and got a guy that a lot of other programs wanted. No, he's not a four-star, five-star type guy. He's not a sure thing, but definitely has a lot of potential. And definitely, like you said, overlooked – didn't really see much coverage at all about him on Friday. It was out there. I know there's a lot of outlets uh, that cover Tennessee that do a tremendous job covering recruiting. And, and I know they were on top of this, but it was just that NCAA stuff was so loud. You couldn't get past it. Yeah, that, that was just if you were posting anything on your website and and looking to get traffic and clicks, you got to go with the, the sensational yeah. thing. And that that's just what ended up happening. But you you did just notice with the, the articles about this kid, it is a lot of that that sort of talk that's like the staff really believes uh, that he's kind of being underrated uh, and overlooked. And you take that with a grain of salt because to some extent, of course, they're going to try to hype up their, their guy. But I... As I said, looking at that tape, I was like, eh, you know, honestly, like to really, he, he has a size. You you can say that much. Will he be willing to put in the work to really get to that, that true SEC level? We'll see. Uh, but there was that. And then also just to throw in here at the end, you did also have a defensive line recruit for the 2024 class that committed to Tennessee. This one flew super under the radar. Uh, but Carson Gentle, three-star, number seven player in the state of Tennessee for the 2024 class. Uh, he also committed on the 23rd. So what was that? Saturday. Yeah. Um, and says he also competes in wrestling and track and field. Um, it just is 2024. It's one of those when any of those kids commit. Because it was the same thing with Jonathan Eccles, who was a five-star. It's an amazing pickup. But even with a five-star, you go like, it's 2024. I mean, I'm not going to see this kid on a college football field for three years. Uh, and we can just kind of cross that bridge when it comes, but it's, it is good to get a kid who's, who's top 10 in the state of Tennessee. That's, that's nice to see. But uh, this one, even as much as Leacock flew under the, <laughs> flew under the radar, he's uh, Carson gentle is flying extremely far under the radar. I think. Yeah, definitely no reason for fans to get too too worked up about the 2024 class yet, good or bad. That's something, obviously, this, the staff has to be uh, cognizant of that class, and they're putting in the work. You start building those relationships very early on. 2024 class will really be the first class that that Tennessee, under Josh Heupel, and, and this particular staff has like their full, like their guys. I mean, this is going to be yeah. their class, their guys, 2023, of course. But 2024, I mean, then you've got guys, okay, they've been building a relationship for two years. 
uh, or more than two years with these guys. Like that's where maybe they can really break through and get a top five class. They do like Tennessee does have the number seven class in the country right now in 2023. I know a lot of opposing fan bases, people that that don't really like to give Tennessee credit, talks about well, it's just a quantity thing, and that's that's not necessarily the case. Mm. I mean, ten- Tennessee has nineteen commits. Clemson at six has seventeen. Penn State at five has nineteen. Texas at four has twenty. Even Georgia has seventeen. Notre Dame at two has twenty. Ohio State at one has nineteen. Average rating of their commit, uh, each commit for Tennessee is ninety point two eight, which really Anything above 90 is 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 a pretty good class. I mean, that's probably going to – if you keep in that 90 to 90, you're in the top 10, maybe top 12 class at worst. And as long as you're in that top 10 range, you can get the talent to compete with Georgia. Maybe you're not going to get the talent to go 13-0 in the regular season and the, the SEC championship game and make a college football playoff run because I don't know if you have the depth for that consistency – but on one given night, you got top 10, a couple top 10 classes in a row. You're going to have the talent to give Georgia a run for their money and maybe pull off an upset. Top 10 classes, you're going to be competitive across the board with anybody. Yeah, you're not going to end up like Georgia was last year where they were able to impose their will on literally every team they played, including Alabama. Like That takes a Herculean effort on the recruiting trail or Herculean cheating, depending on how you look at it. It takes four straight years of like top three classes to get there. I mean, they, those were elite, 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 elite classes all in a row. Um, But at top 10, I think especially with where Tennessee is right now, this is exactly what you got to be hoping for. Yeah. it, It would be unbelievable to have those top three classes. Sure. But it's a little pie in the sky at the moment. Let's go win nine games, win 10 games, then let's start talking about elite classes. And and really, well, I would even say talking about elite classes, let's start expecting elite classes and go, hey, we had a 10-win season and this is the University of Tennessee. It's time to get some some of the big boys in here. And you're getting some of the big boys. It's just not in the quantity that you'll need to beat an Alabama to beat a Georgia. That's just just the way that it is in college football at the moment. How do you feel right now if you're an uh, Ole Miss fan? They're coming off a 10-win season, right? I mean, one of the best regular seasons or the best regular season in program history under Lane Kiffin. And their class is – where Where even is Ole Miss? How far down the list? 64. They have five commits wow. to their 2023 class. Mm. Now, if, if, you, if, if you flip everything there, it's Tennessee that won 10 games last year. It's – Lane Kiffin's come back to coach Tennessee. He won 10 games last year, but they've got the number 64 class in the nation just four and four and a half months before the early signing period. How do you feel then? How should Ole Miss fans feel? I, I would put it this way. If that was happening at Tennessee, the message boards would be mm-hmm. a flame <laughs> with people being like, uh, excuse me, where is the recruiting? That's weird. I, only five commits. Right. Like, I mean, that's very weird. Yeah. Like you can look at like Alabama because they chase so many big players. The, a lot of the time their classes come in late because they're yeah. guys that are getting chased sure. to the ends of the earth for their talent. And so they choose late in the recruiting cycle. Ole Miss ain't coming for all those kids. They can try. They're not going to get them because it's Ole Miss. 
there's only <laughs> even with nil and everything there's only so many well, kids that are going to want to so, go live in rural mississippi for four years you know that's what i want to ask you is how big of an impact is nil in this because think about it Ole Miss, i mean 10 wins it's an sec school we know lane kiffin's a, a good recruiter we know kids yeah. like him uh for whatever you want to say about him the guy connects well with, with student athletes on paper they should have like a top 15 class i don't I don't think Lane Kiffin necessarily is doing anything wrong. So we've heard him complain about NIL loudly. Clearly, he does not have the booster backing at Ole Miss that he thinks he should have, which is one reason I think he'll be gone, he'll be looking for a way out of Ole Miss. Not again, not that he dislikes the place at all. I just feel like he he doesn't feel like he's playing on the same you know level playing field with, with other programs. So is this like a result of NIL? Is this the first program we're seeing that should be? recruiting better and nils allowing other programs to kind of leapfrog them it has maybe it has been really strange i mean kiffin is at least in the past has been a totally shameless pretty good recruiter he still i believe to this day got the highest rated commit ever for tennessee uh, bryce brown i think if i'm thinking correctly i think i could actually look at that right now on uh one of these pages uh but we we know that he could recruit. He, he he cheated so much at Tennessee that he brought in the NCAA, uh, if you remember correctly, and it it kicked off all the Bruce Pearl stuff that brought Bruce Pearl down. It was great. <laughs> Thank you, and, and, Lane. And, and and his secondary violations still don't even touch what what we just saw the NCAA lay on uh, Tennessee thanks to Jeremy Pruitt. Yeah. As bad as Kiffin um, was with breaking rules, and as shameless as he was with publicly breaking rules at Tom, still wasn't as bad as Pruitt. It was uh, now that I'm looking. Yeah, it's a Bryce Brown. He was rated a 99.92 mm-hmm. on two four seven. Uh, Nico comes in at number three. Uh, who? I'll ask you this. Just a cute, uh, nice little aside here. Who's number two? Uh, I would, I would guess. Mm, I would guess probably Eric Berry. It's Eric Berry. Yeah. Okay. Good guess. Uh, and I didn't then know if it, it was like a trick question, some obscure guy that didn't like pan out or something. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, Eric had a, a slightly better career than Bryce Brown at Tennessee. <laughs> um, and then it's, it's funny. Uh, I actually, so I, I, I remember having Bryce Brown on my fantasy football team for like two or three games. I think he had like a little stretch with the Eagles where somebody, maybe LaShawn McCoy had got hurt or something, and they brought Bryce Brown in. And the talent was evident. Like, he, I remember he had, like, one specific pretty big game. He just kind of faded into oblivion, never to be heard from again. Uh, according, but the talent was there. According to 247 Sports, he is with the Brown – or, uh, sorry, the Bills organization at the moment. I'm uh, not sure exactly in what capacity. But, um, yes, he's got to be what? Uh, 30 31 by now yeah which makes that kind of strange he was a total flame out but obviously had the had the talent um to be good just not totally sure what his problem was but uh, not expecting any bryce brown talk today just for <laughs> record. a lot of left field i think yeah uh, nonetheless i i don't know with kiffin that whole thing is strange because yeah he can say like oh we're gonna get some guys late but like you're going to get 60 spots worth of kids late? Like, what are we talking here? 50 spots worth of kids late here? I mean, that's going to be... Obviously, he's he's got 15 or 20 spots to fill 
uh, in that recruiting class still. So they're obviously he's going to move up, but that's pretty strange. You know, most most schools are getting into like double digit commits at this point. The bulk of yeah. schools, and that even even like in Alabama, Georgia's uh, already because they're I think what are they? They're the number okay. one class in SEC at the moment. And I don't know. Yeah, how many. I think they're third. They got seventeen commits overall. Yeah, they're at Alabama 17. has Alabama has fourteen. And they're right behind Tennessee. So really, even you know Alabama's going to have a better class than Tennessee, but it's not going to be a, a huge gap like we're used to seeing. Yeah. Well, and we'll see, still got some work to do. They're they're still out there for some guys, so they're they're going to add some guys too. Yeah, uh, still plenty of spots left. Go ahead and get on it. The, I mean, the main thing that I look at what's important here is you're you're way ahead of South Carolina, you're way ahead of Kentucky, uh, and those are the main schools that you have to move past Florida. You know, it, it's it's all about being ahead of those schools that are really going to push you. And, uh, and Tennessee is doing that so far. So good stuff all around for, for recruiting. Uh, and now let's go back as promised to the notice of allegations for Tennessee. We fleshed it out. Like I said, for about 30 minutes on a live stream on Friday afternoon, go, go tune in to that. A whole bunch of people were there with us. It was really awesome. Had a bunch of great comments and stuff. And, and actually, Hopefully, this is the plan as of right now. I think I, I can go ahead and say this because it's really just up to you and me, Zach, frankly. <laughs> we, we're the ones that have to do this. We're going to be live streaming the podcast. Uh, those It was those live streams that we did last week. We did two last week for SEC Media Days and for the Notice of Allegations. They went so well and so many people tuned in and were enthusiastic about it that uh, we're going to try live streaming the actual podcast uh, on Mondays going forward. We're going to have to glue down all of the the timing and everything like that, you know, between me and Zach to make sure we can work it out every week, but that's going to start being live. So then you can tune in live comment, uh, weigh in on the show and we'll talk about your comments, things like that. It should be really fun, uh, but that will start closer to the season. If not actually in season, we're not totally sure exactly yet, uh, but we're going to try to live stream there and you can go and watch uh, the live stream from last Friday to see, get a little taste, a little sampler of what that's going to be like. And we talked about the notice of allegations. We only mentioned really briefly in that short discussion uh, some of the criticism uh, of the whole thing. Because I, I think a lot of people sort of looked at it and they went, oh, like Tennessee's going to skirt. And hey, that's fine and, and kind of expected just with the way that all of that went. That was really our take. I think Tennessee handled this as well as they probably could have thanks to Danny White and the crew over there in administration. Incredibly, I can't believe I'm saying nice things about Tennessee's athletic administration, but they really are doing it. Uh, I think Tennessee is going to skirt for the most part. They already levied punishments on themselves. The NCAA, even in those articles, kind of said Tennessee did it exactly how we want every other school to do it. They cooperated fully. They were an open book, and thank you to them. And and I think Tennessee is going to get a slap on the wrist, and I think Jeremy Pruitt is going to get sent into outer space <laughs> by the NCAA. It's going to be bad. Um, and Casey Pruitt too. <laughs> she Casey is a cheater. It turns out she not not on Jeremy maybe, but in college football she was giving kids money, thousands and thousands of dollars to kids, kids' parents. Um, the the whole thing was pretty entertaining to read if you haven't. But uh, beyond that, we went into some of those details on that thirty minute discussion. But now let's talk about something that we only mentioned really briefly uh, during during that talk. 
And that was Pat Forty's column about Tennessee. Because I think it's it's really represented. This isn't even to attack Pat specifically. He is a complete idiot from top to bottom. We all know this. But it's really representative of all of those guys. Your Wilkins, your whoever, uh, who's who's the other guy uh, at, uh, he's at ESPN now, but he was at Yahoo. Uh, uh, the I can't think of the other guy's name. Thamel, Thamel Pete Thamel. Yeah. Um, kind of representative of all those guys that thought that they were – they knew better because Shiano, you should have just let Shiano coach. Dang it. Why? Why didn't you do that? And Pat Forty, of course, uh, wrote this column that I is is tone deaf even like too kind for this. Just grasping at straws, just a, a completely. Let me find the exact headline here. The That's full- the part. That gets me the headline. Yeah, he's not even hiding what he's trying to do. The f- he says, "quote The full bill is coming due on the Great Tennessee Fan Revolt of 2017, taking back the program by hiring Phil Fulmer and coach slash bagman Jeremy Pruitt and his bag woman wife was even more costly than we thought." I will and say I do is, like the the line "his bad woman." Wife. That's funny. That is because uh, you know again who expected. <laughs> That to be yeah. a sentence. Oh, we we'll give you, we'll, we'll give you that one, Pat. Fine. <laughs> but uh, this this was the uh, the little explainer at the top of the article. It said the fan tantrum of 2017 led to the Vols Jeremy Pruitt debacle, and a new notice of allegations reveals the full extent of the damage. And he just goes into this whole thing about how like Jeremy Pruitt is the worst hire in the SEC of the last however long, and then uh, he goes through the whole story and how. Greg Schiano should have been the coach at Tennessee and Greg Schiano is the greatest, but he was connected to Jerry Sandusky so he couldn't be hired, but actually he didn't see anything with Jerry Sandusky, even though there's really no way to prove that. And blah, 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 blah. You know, he goes down the typical rabbit hole of all of these idiots. Like I said, it's kind of representative of all of those guys opinion. He was just the one that was dumb enough to actually write about it in this, this kind of begging for attention way. Uh, and giving you attention, we will do here, Pat, uh, so he wrote that. And of course, Tennessee fans response, including yours and mine was just shut your stupid mouth, Pat Forty. Uh, nobody wants Greg Schiano. Nobody thinks that that was the right move. Only you do because Greg Schiano is your friend. Uh, and, and he's a, a media confidant for whatever reason, the media. Oh, they love Greg Schiano and they're still mad about 2017. And, uh, but they, they brought all of that up. And now the, the question that has been brought up that I, we wanted to discuss here is truly, I think we know our opinions on this, but are Tennessee fans happy with this outcome? And that's what we wanted to talk about here. And actually our friend at uh, A to Z Sports, Buck Rising, who does his daily show on 104.5 The Zone in Nashville, the Buck Rising show, he tweeted just earlier uh, a question to his audience that i think we let's be honest we're going to steal buck's content here um sorry buck the, the you know look you you put something up there that uh that was too good to to not talk about but he asked was shiano sunday worth it and i want to find let's see what the results were so far now granted not everybody that listens to his show he he does a more titans focused show so not everybody that listens is a tennessee fan it was 78% yes, it was worth it. 
no. Uh, I'll go ahead and ask you, Zach, was Shiano Sunday worth it? Should we should we be crying like Pat Forty? Why isn't Shiano the coach now? <laughs> he should have been. <laughs> what do you think? I, I mean, obviously the answer is yes. It was it was more than worth it. And we've known that for a long time. Even after even after 2020 happened, it, this was never a question of was did Tennessee make the right decision to hire Jeremy Pruitt? Obviously, they did not because that that failed terribly. But that doesn't mean that they should have hired Greg Schiano instead. Greg Schiano would not have been a good fit at Tennessee. Uh, you take all the Jerry Sandusky stuff out of it. Don't even you don't even think about all that because that is a lot of hearsay, and we don't no, none of us really know exactly what all went on through all of that. And Tennessee didn't want to answer those questions, especially after the Title IX stuff that they had dealt with under Butch Jones and the previous, I mean, this was like a year after they had that big press conference with all the coaches together. That's the last thing Tennessee needed. But aside from that, Sean was just not a, a great coach. Like, yeah, he had some decent years at Rutgers, but he never really did any better than what not in four. Or he had one 11 win season 11 and, and he had some, yep. he still had some losing seasons mixed in even late in his tenure. And then he was a disaster with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It was, there was the, what, the jumping over the defensive line deal, I think when, was it Peyton Manning, I believe, was trying to take a knee. Uh, there was the... The staff the, infection. The stuff. staff infection, yeah, in the locker room. I mean, he and, was... And a, outing his players' medical records and stuff. Right. Like, I mean, he was a disaster yeah. of a head coach. Players didn't like him. There was a lot of, I mean, just the way he tried to run the program. He reminded me a lot of, and I hate to always rely on this, but he he reminded me of what it what Butch Jones was like. Albeit, yes, he's a more competent head coach, I believe, from a football standpoint. But some of the some of his mannerisms, they were just very similar. Their their cultural identities, I guess, were would be very similar, and they just weren't good fits at Tennessee. That has zero to do with what happened with Jeremy Pruitt. I mean, that that's. I, I just don't see how you can look at what happened Friday and even think about Greg Schiano. The guy has been eight and fourteen in two years at Rutgers. Even after Tennessee almost hired him in 2017, he went through the rest of that coaching cycle, the 2018 coaching cycle, and then in the 2019, like he didn't get hired until he Rutgers, the one place that loves Greciano, finally went back to him. It was like, I guess we don't have any better option. We'll go with Greciano. And he's been terrible there so far. So I don't I don't see how that adds up at all. I don't think any Tennessee fan out there wishes that Greciano was the uh the coach of the program. And where this really is tone deaf is the fact that Tennessee, in the wake of the Jeremy Pruitt scandal, actually hired what appears to be a good coach. First winning record in his first year as a as a coach at Tennessee is the first time a first year coach at Tennessee has had a winning record since Lane Kiffin in two thousand nine. I mean that's Derek Dooley, Butch Jones, Jeremy Pruitt. So he's he took over arguably a worse situation than any of those coaches when you consider all the talent that left the program, the NCAA investigation, getting hired so late in the coaching cycle, coming back from COVID. All these things were working against Josh Heupel, and he managed to lead the program to a, a fine seven and six season that saw them have one of the best offenses in the nation. They're not going to get hit with severe penalties from the NCAA. I, I don't see why. I mean, Friday's news was more just information for all of us than some big revelation. 
it, it wasn't an, an indictment on the program at all. Absolutely not. I, this was like my favorite part of this thing that 40 wrote. It's right at the very beginning, actually. He said, how successful was the vigilante charge to quote, take back the program resulting in the hiring of empty suit athletic director and dim bull coach who not only lost, but cheated with abandon. First of all, I'll say how successful was the taking back of the program? 100% successful. They did it. Uh, they went and rioted on campus and overthrew the hiring, overthrew the hiring and got the AD fired. Uh, so I would say it was completely successful, encapsulated within itself. But he goes, uh, how does it feel nearly five years later to know you grease the skids for what is now what now definitely can be called the worst football hire of the 21st century in the Southeastern Conference? Let's examine that because I don't know if people are the... I think we got a lot of younger people that listen to this show, that listen to podcasts in general. But uh, Mike Price, anybody? I mean, hello, somebody. The dude, ne- I mean, what did, What ultimately, he never coached a game at Alabama, I don't think, if I'm thinking correctly. No, I don't. Yeah, I, I don't remember all of the details of that, but the worst hire of the 21st century, I could make a decent argument that he wasn't the worst hire that Tennessee has made in the last decade. Derek Dooley was horrific. Yeah, Butch he never Jones, had a winning season. Yeah, well, at least Butch Jones had nine, two nine-win years, but he drove the program further into the ground than Derek Dooley ever did. Uh, and Pruitt, hey, he had a couple of nice recruiting classes <laughs> thanks to the McDonald's bags. Uh, I mean, so melodramatic. And yeah, when, when you're talking about this, how does it feel to know you grease the skids on this? It, it's been an ugly road to get here. But I, I think without a doubt, and this was my take at the time when this happened in 2017, and you can go back and listen. I was on Jason Swain's show, um, and it is on tape. My take at the time was, this is the way that you have to kick Tennessee's administration in the butt. You have to. You had to wake them up and go like, we're not doing this anymore. And then, of course, they made the wrong decisions, as we said. Fulmer, terrible decision, emotional decision at the time that they should have just left left it be and hired an actual professional like Danny White. Uh, and then his hiring of Pruitt, terrible decision. And you go down that rabbit hole. But it kicked Tennessee's administration in the butt enough and I think you got a guy like uh, Randy Boyd in the in the presidency that has helped a ton. I think he's you got a guy who's a, a fan and a donor in as the president, and so you got you didn't have a an administrator's a college administrator's mindset at the presidency. You have a college administrator's mindset to some extent, and then also a Tennessee fan and donor's mindset from the presidency. I think that was big. I think Plowman has been good. And all of these things just came together and they finally said, like, what if we don't do the normal stuff that Tennessee has always done for these last 15 years? What if we actually change the trajectory of this program? And I think that the the genesis of taking the Tennessee's administration by the scruff was the revolt. And it never it never gets here without that nonsense. Yeah, Pruitt sucked. It was terrible. What a horrible hire. What an idiot. One of the dumbest people to ever coach college football. Uh, the man, we should have known when the man didn't know what an asparagus was. But 
beyond that, no, I'm not mad. Because Danny White, we said it yesterday, is one of the best administrators in America. One of the best ADs working right now. And Tennessee came, they came with the checkbook and they paid and it's paying off. You win two SEC titles in the last year and and he's putting together plans that are actually competent and it, and it looks like Tennessee's moving in the correct direction, not just in other sports where they're winning SEC titles, but in football too. And I'm sorry, Pat Forty, that this hurts your feelings, but things are way better now. How does it feel, Pat Forty? Feels great, frankly, because Tennessee sports haven't been this good in a long, long time since I was a child. Um, and if you can get football back, Tennessee, if if football comes back along with baseball and basketball and hopefully women's basketball all at once, that will be better than Tennessee sports has literally ever been in my lifetime. And a good football season this year would do that. We're that close. So how does it feel? Feels good. I don't know. You tell me. That's I, I don't think Forty understand, and he's he's not a Tennessee fan, and for whatever reason, he has this strong connection to Greg Schiano combined with just a vitriolic hate for Philip Fomer and yeah. some other people in the Tennessee athletic department or the as an axe grind. Yeah, there's something something there, something happened. I don't know. Or it doesn't matter. The fan revolt wasn't so much about Greg Schiano, uh as it was the fans just being tired of these terrible hires. I mean, you hire Lane Kiffin, it injects some energy into the program. It was fun. It was different. It was it was new. It was exciting. Uh, that was a fun year. And then he leaves, all that happens, and and you make the wrong decision. You don't go after David Cutcliffe. You don't you don't make the move you should have made. And you hired Derek Dooley, a guy that had a career losing record, but he was connected to Nick Saban and so that was a disaster. Then you go out and you hire an, I mean, this huge coaching search in 2012, you got these big hopes, and you hire Butch Jones, a guy that most of us hadn't didn't even really know about before that coaching search. And then we have to watch YouTube videos of him pumping up his locker room to kind of try to buy into that. So yeah, fans were tired of these mediocre hires. They were tired of this athletic department not going out there and and making the best hire they possibly could and spending the money and and making the commitment to football that it required to get a coach like that to Tennessee. I mean, that was part of the issue, I think, is that they're just – it wasn't the first priority. And it was obvious by the way that the program ran the last 10 or 12 years that football and the success of the football program was not the top priority. They're still getting 90,000 fans on average to every game. They're making plenty of money. I mean, it just, it just wasn't on their radar. So that was more what the fan revolt was about, just kind of – making their voices heard, like, we're tired of this. And no, it didn't directly lead to the, the program being fixed. Tennessee had to go through three years of Jeremy Pruitt, and it wasn't fun. There were some good moments, but it wasn't, for the most part, it wasn't fun. Uh, but it led to a good place. It led to a place where you've got a great athletic director. You've got a head coach that seems like he knows what he's doing, that he fits in well with Tennessee. I mean, the guy's from South Dakota. He has no real connection to the South, and it feels like he fits in better at Tennessee than any coach since Fulmer. Uh, and it has nothing to do with his accent. It has nothing to do with his past. It's just the way he interacts with people, the way he appreciates Tennessee, just the way he carries himself. It's a lot different than Jeremy Pruitt. It's more genuine than Butch Jones, and it's it's not that same air of uh, arrogance that Derek Dooley had. So. Yeah, you know, the fan revolt didn't fix things immediately, but it led Tennessee to where they are now. 
That's exactly right. The the revolt almost more than anything it was it was all Tennessee fans just recognizing that it doesn't matter what happens these these idiots aren't going to learn and we had to do something to say it now is the time it's time to learn because you you look at the way that that went and i and i doubt you know Forty might know that this happened, but he he certainly doesn't care. Like you said, he has an axe to grind with Tennessee. He was one. He was a big uh, Conzo Martin guy too. You remember his tweets? You know, Conzo ended up leaving Tennessee, and it wasn't great. The petition to, to get him fired and everything. Um, and and Forty was one of those that was like, since Conzo Martin left Tennessee, he's you know twenty three and ten, and Rick Barnes is something and something and you know all of those tweets and of course those have come back to to bite like him who, in the butt spectacularly who, what, what media person hates on rick barnes i, I mean, know really, who how how can you <laughs> it was such a great hire the hire of rick barnes was phenomenal <laughs> and it was and it fell into tennessee's lap i mean it really was almost yeah. forced on us um the, the one good thing dave hart did if i'm remembering correctly uh and, <laughs> but 40 was one of those. He has an ax to grind, but that hire of Shiano for one, it was a friend hire through cause Curry was, it was his pal. He was a pal to the media and Curry was a huge pal to the media also. And, and the media went, Hey, Greg Shiano would be good, you know, cause Shiano's their guy. So Shiano suddenly became Curry's guy. And, and it was just this, I, I'm sorry if you got kids, I'll say it was this giant circle jerk of just all of these the media members and the AD at Tennessee, just all, isn't this, we're the smartest guys in the room. Isn't this cute? How we're all, we all know better. And Tennessee fans looked at that and went, no, you don't. No, you don't. You don't know better. You're, you're a jerk off. <laughs> you know, like it was, you know, like you don't know what's best here. You think they live in their little bubble up there in in the elite of college sports and they're all friends and they all text each other emojis like Dan Wolken did and you know it just was so tone deaf and so arrogant and so stupid and so dismissive they they were doing fake flight plans for the Tennessee plane and posting those cuz they knew Tennessee fans were watching the Tennessee plane cuz we're we're such a crazy and loyal fan base we watched the Tennessee plane when a hire is going on and and they were doing fake Flight plans, that arrogant. And he knew he was going to hire Shiano. Curry knew that. And they were doing that, that nonsense. And fans went, no more, no more, no more. You spitting on our face. I, to bring Swain back up, he he always said uh, they, they were peeing on us and telling us it was raining <laughs> is the perfect way to put it. Stop peeing on us and telling us it's raining. Don't yeah. spit on me like I think this. That, that was... Part of the frustration is that he was so arrogant, and it's oh, like you're you're doing all this theater. This theater, you're enjoying it. I mean, and we know that from the emails. He was he was living it, living it up. He was loving it, like he was sending all these false signals out there. Josh, I mean, Josh Dobbs texted John Curry and asked him about John Gruden, and he wouldn't even give him a straight answer. I mean, he could have ended and thank god they didn't hire john gruden obviously you know in retrospect either time would have been very disastrous as well 
Uh, but at the end, John Gruden, and not to get on that train for too long, but Gruden was kind of like the fan revolt. It wasn't so much that it was John Gruden. What is he? What is his product going to look like on the field? It was the idea of John Gruden. It was the idea that Tennessee could go out there and get the most sought-after coach. Uh, I mean, even NFL teams were all in on John Gruden. And, and John Gruden, kind of like John Curry, I think he enjoyed the theater of it all. He enjoyed the speculation. I mean, he leaned all oh, yeah. the way into it. He'd make his little comments about Tennessee when he'd be on these interviews, and, and the, the interviewees would, would give him these little softball questions about Rocky Top and John Curry and this and that. But, but it was the idea that, that Tennessee could get somebody like that. It's the same thing with the fan revolt. It was the idea that Tennessee fans – because, look, I know Brian Maurer, uh, tennis, former Tennessee quarterback, made the comment about it being the players' program uh, last year, and he received some criticism for it. Well, that, that, that that's true. It is the players' program, but it's also the fans' program because you've got fans out there that have been donating for 50 years. You've got fans that have been season ticket holders for generations – They've put as much into Tennessee football, maybe not physically, but uh, financially, emotionally. They're the ones that show up and allow Tennessee to to reap the rewards of of you know gates where they they make tons of money. So yeah, it, it is kind of the fans' program in a way. Uh, both things can be true at the same time, and they just they wanted some some say so in it. I mean, they're the ones that, like you said, they spend their hard earned money. They wanted a say in it, and they got it. And look, they're better for it now. It's why I, I always resent personally, like anybody, and there are media members that, that grandstand about this and they go, you shouldn't call Tennessee us. You shouldn't call your school us. You're not on the team. Excuse me. I have lived in Knoxville, Tennessee for nigh on 30 years. I have gone to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of Tennessee sporting events. I have given them thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. I went to school there for six years and graduated twice. And I have given them more time and more money than they deserve, frankly. I will call them whatever I want. It is us. Because I I went to Tennessee and have lived in this town and have been around this school and cared about this school and paid more to this school than almost any of these jokers that are in administration at Tennessee. They all, you know, Harvard educated and wherever they've Stanford, they might've gone. I don't know if Curry went to wake forest. He wasn't from Knoxville. He didn't know. And people thought he was a Tennessee guy just because he had worked there for a while. You know, we've given this whole, whole lifestyle to Tennessee. I'll call whatever I want. That is such a, arrogant thing for reporters to do because oh. the the re, like Tennessee Tennessee fam like sports has more media outlets covering it than I, I don't know if there's another college program that has more media outlets covering it maybe Ohio State or Texas or or I don't even know if Alabama's in that same category just the the interest that Tennessee drives and that that rabid fan base that says we or us or that is emotionally connected to Tennessee football 365 days a year. These mess you go on a Tennessee Vols message board on the first page, you go to the very bottom post, and it'll be from like 40 minutes ago. I mean, people are thinking and consuming Tennessee sports all day, every single day. And those fans are the reason 
that you get to do what you do, whether yeah. it's a digital media outlet uh, like we work for, or, or it's a newspaper, or whatever it is, a TV news station. It doesn't matter if you're a traditional journalist, new media, whatever you want to call yourself. The fans are the reason you're able to do that. Like, don't, don't give fans a hard time. Don't. I, never. I've never understood that. Those are the people that that allow you to live the life you do. So no, and, I, I don't get it. And let me say this too, just because I'm thinking about it with the way that I phrased what I just said, but I brought up that I like I went to Tennessee and graduated. Even if if you didn't go to Tennessee, but you have given your entire life to this school, like so 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 many fans have. It doesn't matter if you even went to another school, but you have been a Tennessee fan your entire life and there's still an avid fan. You have given your time, you have given your money, your blood, sweat, and tears to this school. You can call it whatever you want. It doesn't matter because again, as, as I was saying, like, you know, this school better than any of these administrators do. You might not know like the business of college sports, like the actual business side. Yeah. They probably know that better than I do because they work in it every single day, but you know, this school better than any of them. This school means more to you. This school is more a part of your life than it will ever be to them. Even if they work there and they're in that administration and just, any of the the talking down and the resentment from the administrators through all that time and just the the sort of like patting the fan on the head being like we'll we'll take over from here you know we we got this no you don't no you don't D at this moment and of course this can change depending on what happens Danny White's got this he's extremely well paid he's been in the business a very very long time and so far I implicitly trust the decisions that that guy's made because so far they've all been right like and you they go out and make these dumb decisions that screw this school over make me ashamed to say that I'm a Tennessee fan and then they come and they go isn't that great hey what if you gave us money what if you gave me more money what if you bought more merch and bought more tickets you know Tennessee sucked for all those years and they're raising ticket prices and well we got it we got to pay for the renovations renovations winners get winner renovations you're not a winner winners get renovations that's not how that works you know, and it was just that and Tennessee fans just taking the administration by the throat and going no more, no more of this. Stop it. <laughs> you know, and that's that's what you can never translate to an idiot like Pat Forty. He has obviously he has his personal vendetta against Tennessee, which is a different thing. But you can never translate it even to just another fan base to like fans of Alabama or Florida or whatever. Like they're just never going to understand it because they haven't been a Tennessee fan all this time like we have and that's that's about the long and the short of it I, I just uh just wanted to cover that it's something that I love talking about because it is so I think it's so deeply entrenched in all of us like we all that are in a, a part of this ridiculousness that we are in it is Tennessee fandom I think we all really feel these things and I wanted I to hate, air it out I hate that Pat Forty knows how to get us though I hate that Dan Walken Pete Thamel all these guys like they know what buttons to push they know it would get crazy engagement, and it, it does. And we we help them along in that by giving them attention. I mean, I wrote a column about a column, and it just brings more attention to <laughs> Pat Forty. And there was comments. I, I mean, it's kind of funny. Anytime I – and I've done it before with Walt, Dan Walken and several others when they say something stupid. But it's like the one time that the comments are kind of unified, and nobody's going after me. Nobody's going after each other. They're just all going after it's a beautiful thing. but I, I will say when we were 
you were talking, I was thinking about past coaches and disastrous coaching hires. I don't think Arkansas gets enough grief for their hire of Chad Morris, because if that was Tennessee, uh, you know, it would be bad. He was four and 18 in two seasons, got fired uh, in 2019 before the season was over and went oh and 14 in conference play. He was a terrible fit following a coach in Brett Bulimia who kind of ran like a Big Ten style offense. Uh, was You know, Chad Morris uses a lot of zone scheme type stuff, smaller offensive linemen, totally different offense. So it was always going to take Chad Morris a couple of years to kind of turn that program over, which he didn't get the time. Maybe, you know, maybe things would have been different. His offense is the reason Clemson kind of took off, oddly enough, after Dabo Sweeney fired Billy Napier, that's when Clemson took off, and now Florida's hoping Billy Napier can can turn that program around. But aside from that, like Chad Morris was just never a good fit at Arkansas. It, I mean, we should have seen on paper like this isn't going to work, and they went Arkansas went right back to a similar style coach as what they had uh, before Chad Morris with Sam Pittman. Though Pittman has proved to be a much better coach than than, than Brett was. But that, I mean, you want to talk about bad coaching hires the last 15 years. I think that's number one in the SEC. I agree with that completely. And, yeah, I mean, he's... 40%. So go write a column about that, Pat Forty. He did mention... Let's see. He did mention Chad. Yeah, here you go. He said, you greased the skids for what is now definitely the worst football hire of the 21st century in the Southeastern Conference. At least Chad Morris just lost. He didn't leave Arkansas facing major sanctions too. Tennessee, no, Tennessee, like that doesn't work because Tennessee is still in a better place than they were in yeah. 2017. Right now, in entering 2022, this program has a brighter outlook than it did entering 2018. Has a brighter outlook than it did entering Josh Heupel's first season. He, he exceeded expectations. Uh, you don't have people saying, okay, is – Josh Heupel, you know, had to kind of set the foundation. Can he take that next step? No, he he proved he can win. Now he's got to take it to another level. But the sanctions aren't a thing. Like, they've they've went through the worst of the scholarship reductions, we think. They're probably going to be at around 79 this year, which is about, what, 10 more than they ended last year with. So they're not quite to 85 yet, but the depth is better. They're probably not going to face a postseason ban. I'm not sure what the problem is here. Like, how is the program going to be crippled? I mean, it's in a it, it's trending up. What what are you what are you pointing at? It would be different if Tennessee hired Josh Heupel and they went three and nine last year, and then oh yeah, by the way, you're not playing in a bowl game for the next two years, and by the way, you're only going to have 65 scholarship players for the next three years. Like, that's not what they're facing. I would I would understand it if that was the case, and if Greg Schiano had got hired at a power five school and went won 10 games last year. You combine all that, then yeah, go after Tennessee all you want, but that's just, that's not the reality. Yeah. I mean, he, he says the, the bill is coming due for the thing. So we got a better AD, a better coach, a better situation all the way around. Other, other sports are the best they've been in a long, long, long time. Uh, I mean, forgive me for, you know, I, I hate paying bills as much as anybody, uh, but this one doesn't seem too expensive. You know, <laughs> like I'm, I'm not, I've, yes, the bill is here. That's true, but I'm not 
you know, it's not uh, hurting my wallet that bad, frankly. I he's just I mean, he's just mad. He's mad. He's mad that Tennessee's punishment isn't going to be worse. That's really the end of it. He wanted to see Tennessee get crushed. They're not going to um, because they did actually find a way to snake around the whole thing. And that's congrats to everybody who was a part of that plan and, and formulated it and executed it. You did well. Um, we talked about all of that on the on the 30 minute live stream. Uh, we kind of fleshed that part of it out, how this was kind of a, a real masterstroke. If this is the way that Tennessee had to do it and they wanted to avoid the buyout, you did it. You you avoided most sanctions, you avoided paying Jeremy Pruitt. Um, you did it, <laughs> you know, and you came out with uh, a better admin and a better coach for it all. So any did you see Jeremy Pruitt's the... uh did you see Jeremy Pruitt's comment? I didn't. The, what did he say? He uh, So this was to ESPN on Friday. A lot of this information in the NCAA's report I'm seeing for the first time and still reading through it. I'd rather not comment a whole lot past that other than to say I'm looking forward to telling my side of the story somewhere down the road. Oh, boy. It's the, it's the Greg Schiano. The... Which we've never heard. I'm still waiting on. I, can't, I mean, I'm anxiously <laughs> awaiting, Greg. It's been almost five years. When the um, time I'm, is right, yes. I will strike. <laughs> No, you won't, you Greg. Fired, is that when you get fired from Rutgers and you just want to stay relevant? Or, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I mean, well, as far as Pruitt's comment, I mean, I imagine there might be some stuff he's in there seeing for the first time. I mean, maybe he doesn't know that Brian Niedermeyer handed a recruit cash at a high school. Yeah. Uh, any good head coach would insulate themselves from that. The problem is, is that Pruitt was apparently taking part in most of this stuff. He got hit with the most violations of any coach name. The only person that had more violations name was uh, Bethany Gunn, one of the, the recruiting director. So, yeah, you're I, I don't know that telling your side of the story is going to help things so much. Like I, I mentioned this before. It does seem like he was genuinely trying to, to help families and recruits like I, that's admirable in a way. And outside of this context, I think he'd be viewed as a good person for doing that stuff. I don't think $60,000 worth of uh, benefits over two years are going to land you too many top recruits, but uh, you still did it. So, And it was against the rules, whether you like it or not, whether you think Tennessee should have fought for your job, uh, you know, don't go three and seven, and maybe they would have. Outside of that, I'm not sure what you can say that's going to make anybody feel any different about this. Yeah, it it's all it's all there enough to to burn his career to the ground. So... I I do think you're right. There probably is stuff that he didn't know about, but the fact that he was giving recruits money, I mean, that is just so stupid. It, I mean, it's like Will Wade at LSU having phone conversations about it. Lord knows he's, I'm sure he's, he gave money to kids too. And it just, it, what, how do you not, there's no way that, Saban is giving kids money and Pruitt come like, that's how he learned how to cheat was from Saban. I'm sure. How There's no way he's doing that. What were you well, thinking? Clearly, clearly Pruitt was only halfway paying attention. He's like that kid in, <laughs> in your high school geometry class. That's asleep in the back and yep. <laughs> a quiz comes up and they're like, what page are we on? Like, what are we, what are we doing here? You know, <laughs> he knows half of what's going on. Pruitt had half the information. Yes. I must cheat to get players, but, I'm not going to pay attention to how I should cheat. It was truly amateur hour. I think you saw that. Most of the people in this were early in their career, were mm -hmm. not 
you know, we're not veteran. Bethany Gunn is not like a, you know, longtime veteran. Niedermeyer was a new coach. Like it's funny is Derek Ansley was the only coach, like veteran coach that's kind of wrapped up in it. The other guys were smart enough to like not get either, either they did it better. Exactly. And they didn't get taught or they knew that like, okay, this ship's going down. I'm just kind of treading water till I find my next opportunity. I'll put it this way. There's a reason. That's not a coincidence. It's not a coincidence yeah. that a lot of those guys, because Lord knows they, they knew that stuff. If you were on the staff, you knew what's going on. If you played college football at all or have been around it at all, you know that stuff goes on. I mean, that's ridiculous to think otherwise. And there's a reason that they were not named. Uh, cause the, the sloppy ones got, uh, they're the ones that are going to get wrapped up in all of this. So there's that, um, let's finish with this just because it, it wraps up, uh, media days from last week and we didn't get to talk about it. This, uh, this came out after we had our discussion about media days and we just wanted to mention it briefly, give our little take on it here. Uh, but Tennessee in the predictions for the sec, uh, league this year, got picked to finish third in the SEC East behind Georgia, of course, and Kentucky. We're, we're doing the Kentucky thing again, aren't we? It wasn't enough that in Heupel's first year and one of the best years Kentucky's ever had that they still lost to Tennessee. Doesn't matter. I mean, what do we, what do we have to do to convince these people? We just, we've beaten Kentucky for 30 what is it? 33 of 36 years or something like at what point do you go like maybe Tennessee is going to be Kentucky? I don't know. Um, but Tennessee still finished uh, a pick to finish third. Um, yeah, just briefly here. What what did you think of of the media's choice to pick Tennessee behind Kentucky? If I, if I'm picking the order of finish, I've got Tennessee second, and I think that's uh, that's me being as objective as possible because they do traditionally beat Kentucky. The only time uh, Kentucky's beat Tennessee in the past, so they beat them three times in the past eleven or twelve years. They they beat them in in strange down years. The 2011 Derek Dooley year, which was a very forgetful year, 2017 year, Butch Jones gets fired, and 2020 Jeremy Pruitt gets fired. So they've their wins kind of come with asterisks in, in those situations. Uh, outside of that, I mean, Tennessee's got a better offense. They got more talent uh, on paper. I know, I know Kentucky had the better record last year, but I just think Tennessee has more upside. Uh, but really it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Of course, like these predictions don't matter. And honestly, like they don't get them right a lot. I mean, picking Georgia is pretty easy. I don't think anybody, I mean, some teams got first place votes, including Tennessee got one, Kentucky got four. South Carolina got three, and I would guess the Tennessean voted for Vanderbilt because they have one uh, first-place vote for some strange reason. Like, yeah, you're going to pick Georgia. After that, we'll see how it falls. But, you know, I think Tennessee should kind of lean into this and, and, and embrace it a little bit. We've seen Tennessee get hyped before. We've seen them get picked to win the SEC East in 2016, I believe. We've seen them pick get picked finish second and then they don't they don't they just don't perform or live up to expectations and a lot of times that's a big complaint that tennessee fans have in the offseason is why are we hyping them up so much like I, I don't like this i don't like that they're getting hyped so much and it's went that way a little this year i think people are a lot more aware of tennessee because of the offensive style that they played last year and the success they had but they're not getting hyped like they could be i mean that's you see it's kind of kentucky instead i think that's a good thing I mean, maybe it puts a little chip on their shoulder. I don't think they necessarily Hopefully. need that, but hey, why not? Take it. A yeah. little added motivation never hurts. 
little bulletin board material. That's Certainly all. no one's giving them a chance to win the SEC East. Nobody's giving anybody a chance to beat Georgia. No. And, you know, should we? Probably not. But is it? I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibilities that it could happen. Yeah, I'm, I'm not. I'll put it this way. I'm not giving them a chance to win the SEC East. Uh, but stranger things have happened. So, right. you know, it, it nothing is ever a short thing. I mean, I you look back at some of the years, like Tennessee baseball, I think last year was chosen to finish. Like it, it was kind of similar, like third, fourth in the East or something. Well, basketball was last or like last, last or in, one year. One year, one, didn't they pick Tennessee to finish like way, way down? I think Grant Grant Williams' breakout year, yeah, um, where Tennessee like uh, Rick won and Rupp for the first time in that whole year. Um, yeah, I think Tennessee was fin- picked to finish like last. Uh, yeah, that's, in, yeah. So or, it's not like it means thirteenth or something. Means nothing. I mean, the yeah. pre- predictions mean nothing. It does. It does show. I, I thought was interesting in this, you know, beyond Tennessee, the when the rubber actually meets the road, all the South Carolina hype is not really there um, because they were picked to finish fifth in the SEC East behind also Florida with a brand new coach because they've, especially South Carolina fans, they've been like, well, for comeback teams in the SEC, it's 1A, 1B. We're right there with Tennessee, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't matter that Tennessee beat us by 30. That's We're basically the same school. No, you're not. You're not. Tennessee and Florida are in a different echelon. Um, and then South Carolina is in the next one. That's You're not. <laughs> That's And the SEC media knows because it was a huge disparity. I mean, uh, can, Tennessee almost did get that second spot. Nine. Mm-hmm. It was 932 to 929. Kentucky... Uh, Kentucky had more first place uh, votes, like you said, for Tennessee only had one, but uh, it was very close. South Carolina, 662. So they were way behind in that, that fifth spot. Um, Vandy, 196. Sorry to <laughs> poor Vandy. Actually, what not about, poor Vandy. Screw those guys. But what about uh, Auburn being picked last in the West? That's pretty brutal, but I think it's right. Right? It's I mean, be a tough division. I mean, that's, West it's, be not, good. it's not top heavy. It's, you're not going to have like, I don't think maybe Texas A&M uh, can, can take a step forward and challenge Alabama. I, I think it's still going to be like Alabama's the class of the field by far. But I think top to bottom, I mean, you could possibly see almost every single one of those teams being bowl eligible. And, and that's not yeah. the case in the East because Vanderbilt's definitely not going to be bowl eligible. Who knows what happens with Missouri? But Auburn, I mean, they could, they could Mississippi State, Auburn, they could be six and six. Uh, Brian yep. Kelly, I think he's got enough talent to at least go six and six at LSU. So that could be an uh, interesting division as far as just kind of how it shakes out. This is a little premonition, but I, I just get the feeling that Ole Miss is going to have a bad year, that it's going to be like disproportionately be. bad. Could be I mean, all Matt Corral last year, you know? Yeah. I, cause you, they're going from the best. In in my opinion, yeah, Bryce Bryce Young was great, but he just plays with so many great players. Like it's easy to be great. I don't. It's not easy to be great. Bryce <laughs> Young is an excellent quarterback, but he just, he plays with so much talent. The offensive line in front of him is a brick wall. All of his yeah. wide receivers are six star players. Like it's just you know he's he's got a little handicap there. But Matt Corral, I I think. At the college level, I think Bryce Young will probably be a better NFL quarterback long-term. You know, think whatever you want there. 
But I think last year Corral was the best quarterback in the SEC. Yeah, he's kind of he kind of had that it factor about him. He too. carried that team. Yeah, and and they're bringing in Jackson Dart, who supposedly is good, but and he and he might not even be the starter. I think it's a little bit up in the air even. And I just I don't know his Kevin's offense is so quarterback dependent. Like I uh, I could just see them having a, a surprisingly bad year just like i said premonition it's a feeling it's not totally based evidence-based <laughs> they well, did win, and, 10, win 10 games last year but yeah and, and Ole miss is i mean we kind of touched on this earlier with their recruiting they're really built on transfers and yeah. Tiffin has kind of talked about that that can be a that can be a challenge too because your team hasn't really meshed together in the way that a lot of teams have like obviously transfers or it can be a big part of success but it's different when you're bringing in like two or three guys that might play prominent positions and they're, they're kind of like, there's a culture that's that exists and they're fitting into that. Whereas with Ole Miss, it almost feels like, okay, what is the culture? Who, who's been here? Uh, you got so many different people coming in and different ideas and this and that, like sometimes it can, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that that's something that's for me impossible to overcome, but it is something that they have to deal with. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, did you about knock over your camera there? It, <laughs> it felt my computer fell back off the little platform I had it on. It's uh, yeah, that wasn't good. The cord is kind of pulling it. Let me disconnect if you, it here. If you're listening, if you go back and watch this about the the one hour and twelve minute mark, you'll see a, just a very brief panic face from Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> you you because you can't. Uh, I run like my my audio is not coming from the computer, so you won't hear it rustling around too much. It's in, you know, I'm in the microphone here, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, that's, that's fun. That's the youtube.com A to Z sports. Uh, that's, that's good promo for the YouTube channel. Maybe um, we'll see more of that during the season. If we're, we're going live. <laughs> yeah. You'll, you'll get to see it live during the season. Um, that is it. We've gone long once again. Uh, look out for those live streams. Like you said, we're, we'll have to get the details nailed down. And we can go from there. But uh, I'm Charlie Burris. That is Zach Reagan. This has been the Big Orange Podcast. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thanks. You're, I can't. I can't thank the folks at home enough. I mean, those those live streams were more successful than either of us thought. We were t- texting, being like, "I can't believe how many <laughs> views and listens these got." Um, it's crazy. You guys are amazing. Keep tuning in because we'll keep making these shows if you do. Uh, a to Z sports, uh, dot com at Charlie underscore Burris at Zach TNT at A to Z sports, A to Z or uh, A to Z sports on YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, the A to Z sports podcast network. Feed. It's not iTunes anymore. Apple music, whatever. Um, A to Z sports podcast network feed. You know where to find us. You're watching this this late into the show. That's it. Thanks again for watching. And we'll talk to y'all next week. See you guys later. Right.